Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Dash Podcast. I'm here with Dr. Perry Mills, the Chief Program Officer for the South Carolina Public Charter School District, a district I've had the opportunity to work with and in for several years. Um, great to talk to Dr. Mills in a couple occasions now. So I'm excited to talk with him more about his book, Unknown Labels, and his experience with federal programming at the district level. Before we get into this episode, though, I want to remind you to follow us on YouTube at SEO Educators and visit our website, seoeducators.com, to learn more about our solutions for school and district communities. With that, Dr. Mills, how you doing today, sir? I'm well, sir. How are you today? Glad to be here. Likewise, likewise. It's, uh, can't stop, won't stop. You know, I could only imagine the the summer life of a federal program director. You you got so much to to get in and go out. What, what is a federal program director? What well, you- the the director of federal programs. Um, I had that position a couple of years ago um, when I was in a different district. Um, now I have that position under my leadership. But the director of federal programs pretty much takes care of the programs, uh, the Title One, Title Two, and Title Four. Mm-hmm. Um, also, it gets into things when you start to talk about some of the statewide grants and different identification with schools for us, CSI, Comprehensive Support and Improvement, AT, a, um, uh, TSI, Target Support Improvement. So mm-hmm. you got all these different opportunities for schools to receive funding to help students academically. Pretty much everything is based on helping students academically. Of course, we get into some other title funds where we work directly with preparing educators and administrators to be better educators to mm. help those students perform. Mm. Um, very interesting stuff. You know, I, if I'm being honest, when I got out of school, I was like, man, what's up with all this policy stuff? What's what's up with all this, you know, uh, this, I don't even know what to call it, all this policy, politics, this kind of stuff. But as I get further in my career, I realize that this is what makes the world go round. This is how we get to, you know, do things that are productive. What was it that made you want to transition? I see you were a principal for a long time, and then you went into federal programming. Did you have the knowledge of the federal programs, I'd assume, at the principal level? And then what what made you want to take it up to that district level? Well, as as a principal, I was a recipient of some of those funds, which got me into the knowledge of federal programs and certain fundings that the state and federal government provides. And so knowing what I had just at my level at the school, I wanted to get a little bit deeper into how can I also now share this information and share these funds with other schools to support our students. Um, I guess when you think about the oldest and the biggest of these federal programs, it is Title I. And mm-hmm. Title I um, basically supports our students who are underprivileged. Yeah, yeah. And so one of, the, one of the equations that we use now is called PIP, Pupils in Poverty. So we always have a poverty index to find out what school has a certain percentage of students that's in poverty. And so the money that we receive from the state and federal government is then divvied out to those schools based on a ranking order of mm. percentage of poverty. Um, for example, I had at one point 16 schools that I supported. And so not everyone got the same amount because not everyone's percent was the same. But even once you get the percentage, then you go by the head count of the students. And the students mm. count is based on the 135th day of the year. So if, if you and I had a very similar poverty index, but you had 2,000 students in your school and I had 1,500, it's per pupil, so you will get yeah. more money of that of them um, of the amount than I would for mm. you. Do you see um, another? I was in a school district on the East Coast, in very big district, and you have 
you know, some school districts that have huge Title I funds, but maybe have, you know, poor facilities. And I know this might be different because it's charter, but a large school district, one of the impoverished areas, you know, run down, beat up school, but then you've got, but they've got some of the federal funding, but then you've got a more prodigious school with, with affluent communities that have a large PTA that may be able to provide the same funding as Title I. Do you feel like Title I bridges that gap where, you know, a, a more affluent school community has a PTO? Does Title I, and I'm, I'm, this is an open question, maybe there's more sure. to it, but does it bridge the gap in your eyes? Well, the Title I fund is primarily for the academic improvement of mm. students. And so when you, when you mentioned facilities, we could not use Title I funds for any type of facilities or facility improvement per se. Um, however, when you think about it, the environment that we walk into has to be conducive for learning. Mm -hmm. And so at many times when you walk into a dilapidated building or something where it's not conducive to learning, the mindset of that child and or that teacher, and I know you're very involved in social emotional learning, you mm -hmm. think about how, how do I learn in an environment that's not conducive? Yeah. For example, I'm sure you've heard of the corridor of shame. Um, I'll give that know, next. I grew up in that area. I've seen that video. Um, and so there was one time, I think in Dillon County, when they said that the conditions inside that school were so poor that it was warmer for the kids to sit in a gym shower than it was for them to even, you know, be inside the building. So it was just wow. very poor uh, situation for those kids. So how can you learn in an environment like that? Because you're not comfortable, you're cold. You're, I mean, you're, where can you really think? So mm -hmm. the Title I funds, we can buy a lot of different programs and get a lot of, you know, pay for a lot of staff with expertise yeah. to come in and support the kids academically. But at the same time, we have to find other general funds mm -hmm. and state support in making sure that our buildings are in the right place. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, yeah, it's like day and night. I, I mean, I, and that's a, that's a great point. And I guess going... Perhaps so, uh, Dr. Bailey and I at PD, a charter school, school, we went to Georgia and, and we talked about the corridor of shame and we we spoke about how it was Association for Learning Environments and the primary attendees were, you know, facilities managers and, and maintenance folks and school and district leaders. But um, we kind of went with a different approach of, hey, it's great to have this nice building, but what if you don't have that? And in our situation, you know, we, we've had temporary and modular buildings, but have still been able to cultivate a really strong community. And I would say, you know, a lot of that is due to some of the different federal programs. In that sense, I guess, and I didn't mean to stick on facilities, but in that sense, outside of facilities, are you able to see how, if these federal programs are bridging the gaps for the corridor shame in other places? Well, corridor shame, particularly not so much. Um, I don't, I'm not in that area as much. I don't study it as much, but I have seen it benefit schools that I've served and schools that I've supported at the district level in regards to being able to get those resources that years ago in the past, when no funds were available, mm -hmm. those resources were also unavailable, but mm -hmm. also to find the best of the best because we can um, pay the salary and benefits of professional staff, we can do professional development, we can do bring in consultants, anything and everything. But the thing that we have to also be mindful of and be careful of that with all the money and you get this money every year, mm -hmm. after a while, you're going to be like, do we need any more stuff? Mm, so yeah, it gets yeah. to a point where um, I even had a school be told one time that you guys are resource rich, but implementation poor. Wow. That hurt because Basically, that principal was told, you have everything that you need on the shelf or in a box in this building. 
Mm -hmm. But how you and your staff implement it to help our students out is what's lacking. And yeah. so I started telling principals what we need to do now is start to have this professional development that is founded, evidence-based in how we move students academically. Mm -hmm. Put your money in people more so than stuff, and yes. we may need to move our kids. We need to turn the volume up on that one. Put your money <laughs> in the people instead of the stuff. I need you need to be a federal program director at every school because I tell you, or every district because I tell you when I when I call and I've said this three or four times now on the show. But when I'm calling schools, people are confused when I say I'm doing staff SEL or adult SEL, and they try to send me to a different department in the district that owns SEL, and it's like, hey, I'm talking about you. I'm talking about growing your capacity. And, you know, I'm starting to use some different language, but I'm starting about growing the people. In your role, you, you got a very powerful role, Dr. Mills, to, to be able to, you know, receive these funds and then disperse them to the folks that need them. And, and you're eyes and, and I know, know you have a military background like what's what drives you to be in this position and what um I guess intrinsic reward do you get to be able to support a district and community at this level well in our district right now the director of federal programs um I don't do that directly now in this position I do supervise that person okay okay and my background information and knowledge in it I think is what helped me land this job because I had some familiarization with it and I'm still working with it indirectly um mm -hmm. right now but the thing about it is knowing that there's a lot of students, you know, black, brown and others. I mean, it's not just, you know, black and brown kids, but any kid right. who lives in an area that's impoverished. I came from a district where in 2024, the superintendent is planning to make the entire district a Title I district. That mm. just supposed to say that whole community is um, is basically in that poverty. situation. It's poverty. You live in a poverty district. It's a very small city here in South Carolina. Mm. Um, and because of the poverty index in that entire county. Um, the school district is going to be Title I, so every school will get additional funding. Mm -hmm. um, bad, The good and bad about that, every child will be exposed to it, but of course, the money now is going to be stretched even more. So mm -hmm. when I was in that district serving 16 oh, schools, yeah, when I was in that district serving 16 schools, it's now going to be serving 24 schools. And not only that, but no high school was being served at that time. Now that they're going to put the high schools in, and high schools normally have the larger population. Wow. So remember I told you the per pupil? So now when you hit a high school with 1,800 kids, a high school with 1,900 kids, those kids are going to pull from that same amount. So well, that, that $7 million dollars sounds like a lot, but when you start to pull it out through those throughout those kids, divided by I think 24. it was, I'm sorry? I said divided by 24, it, it doesn't add up to as much. Exactly. So there mm -hmm. may have been a school that would get $350,000 a year that may go down to 150 because now some mm -hmm. of their funds are going to go to other schools. So everyone's going wow. to probably lose except the new schools who are going to, they, they can only gain. Wow. Talk about equity and equitable, you know, and that's that's a lot of what, you know, you talk about a lot in this world. You know, sure, it's equity. We're going to split this up between everybody. But is it equitable? What about that that elementary with 600 kids who, like you said, was getting that 350 doesn't get it anymore? That's a lot, Dr. Perry. That's a lot. Um, that's a lot. And I, I thank you for sharing the light, spreading the light on that. And I think even opening up just some perspective on how some of these fundings work and how it works in schools or school communities and districts. If we transition a little bit to outside of um, your, your current role as a program, uh, excuse me, chief program officer, you also have a book coming out or out by the time this airs, known, Unknown Labels, Know Me Before You Judge Me. Talk to me about that concept and your book coming out here. Well, what gave me the mind to write this book, and especially with that title, 
prior to becoming a chief program officer or federal programs officer, um, a director of federal programs, I'm sorry, I was a principal at an alternative school. I led a charter school as well, but even prior to that, I was a principal of an alternative school. Mm. And I even did my dissertation back in 2011 on alternative schools in North and South Carolina. I did a, a companion dissertation comparing our neighboring states. And we found out no, no matter what the demographics was in a district, the alternative schools have been 85% or more African-American students, primarily African-American males, even broken down more African-American males in the ninth grade. Wow. So it's like that transition from middle school to high school and our black boys, that's, that's, it's like a black hole. They're dropped, they're lost. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at teachbetter.com slash podcasts, and we'll see you at the next episode. Um, and so I served in that position as a principal of an alternative school for eight years. Um, so a lot of my military background and my structure, I was a logistics person. So my logistic, my mm. logistics mindset and my leadership, I think, led me well or served me well, I should say, in that position. And so each year I would come up with some type of title that I wanted the staff and students to grab hold of and make it our theme for the year. And so by doing this, what I also did was I took those annual themes and I put them in my book as a chapter. Mm. The first one, for example, was cultivating our chemistry. Um, I'm not a chemist. I'm not a science guy by no means. However, I did a, um, I guess, a, a, a professional development warm up where I had everyone come into the room and they just grabbed an element off the table. They didn't know why, you know, from the periodic table. Mm-hmm. And so as we started talking, I would tell them to stand up and stand near each other and we see what we can make. So, you know, of course, two parts, hydrogen and oxygen, H2O, you're hydrogen by yourself, you're oxygen by yourself, but we come together and cultivate this chemistry. Mm-hmm. Look at what we are. Okay, now we, okay. we all need water. Yeah. And so I, I use that to tell them when we build relationships, you and I are teachers in the same building. Wow. You and I teach the same kid. You have a great relationship with this kid. This kid comes in and gives me a hard time daily. Mm-hmm. You know, just, just what we do. And so I need to find out how can I reach this kid? You know, Trey reaches this kid, but Perry just, I'm not, I'm not getting it. And so in some type of staff development, professional development, or just sidebar conversation, I need to get with my colleague. You and I can cultivate our chemistry and we can win this kid together. And now we both have this kid performing and we can spread that throughout our school. This all goes into that relationship. So that being my first year there, I wanted to cultivate the chemistry of what we're going to build at that school. I like that. Um, and those analogies, they they stick with people as well. I was in Alabama yesterday doing the training and um, we had some some good, almost exactly what you're talking about here, cultivating chemistry. There was a wonderful dialogue about, um, we were talking about being in the classroom, literally what you just said, what, what kids do I struggle to reach and teach? Who am I successful at reaching and teaching? Right. And there was one um, educator who was like, you know, if your child doesn't want to come to your class, you know, you got to look in the mirror. Um, Because that probably has something to do with you. And another teacher was like, um, you know, I respectfully disagree because kids don't want to come to my class sometimes, but it's because of the rigor. They get in there and they see how hard it is and they don't want to come back. But we were able to see there like, ah, aha, y'all are saying different things, but you want the same thing. So there's still a reason that that child isn't coming to your class. 
how can you make them want to be in there? You know, what, what can you do there? And that doesn't mean you're a bad teacher. You're a good teacher. You're so good that the kids aren't, are scared to come in. How do we build their sense of efficacy so they can feel confident to come into that class? And that, that small dialogue with those teachers, what I wanted to point out was like, hey, this could have been a conflict because teacher one said, if your kids don't come to class, you're a bad teacher. This teacher could have took that to heart and said, no, I am a good teacher. I don't like you now. I mean, that's how you feel about me. You must be talking about me. But that she had the the the, the emotional intelligence, the SEL skills to say, hey, I disagree. We were able to get on the same page through that analogy. And so I think that's that's cultivating chemistry. A lot of times is having the, the challenging conversation saying, hey, I, I need some help. You know, I, I need some help with this. How do you reach that kid? And I can't. And I would say this also, um, I think every educator you probably have talked to and you yourself have probably quoted Rita Pearson, you know, mm -hmm. Dr. Rita Pearson, every child needs a champion and it's about relationships. So when I came through school, I graduated high school in the mid eighties. So I've been out of high school for a moment. And so when we were in school, it was reading, writing, arithmetic. So they called it three mm -hmm. R's of education. And now, of course, I'm sure you've heard this as well. It's more now rigor, relevance and relationship. Mm. So you mentioned rigor. I thought about it. These kids now, it's not, are you smart? It's how are you smart? Because we all walk around with a computer in our hand. So we can find everything. This artificial intelligence. There's so many apps now that I don't want it to cripple our kids, but it's not that they don't know. It's, it's basically finding that information nowadays. Yeah. So without a relationship, and she also said, kids won't learn from somebody they don't like. Mm -hmm. so if I haven't built that relationship with you. you no, know, you don't want to come into my room, but you know, right. We've seen videos with the high five different special handshakes per child. That's a relationship that that teacher mm -hmm. has built. And it doesn't have to be just the young kids. It can be the older kids. And a yeah. lot of times we think because they're older, it's corny. We don't want it. They want it and need it just as much. <laughs> Absolutely. And they and they want they want the care, Dr. Mills. I'm working with some um, a summer program. Uh, some kids are in classes and I'm like, hey, today's the drop deadline. You behind pace. You're getting dropped. OK, yeah. I'm I'm not playing these games with y'all this year. We we got to take care of business. Um, but at the same time, there was a student who had wanted this class to take. It's a tough class. They they really they really wanted it. They've been dealing with a few family issues over the last couple of weeks, and I was about to drop them. And they was, they was like, I could do it. And they messaged back and said, I'm not going to get it done. Go ahead and drop me. And that was my chance there to say, hey, I'm supposed to, but I know you want this class. I know you're doing well in this class and you had a hiccup. Go get it. Take take care of business. And again, that I think that's an area as well where I'm, I'm kind of I'm, I'm going a little bit all over the place. You know, open me up a little bit. Um, that's an area where, yeah, I could have followed the policy and, and I don't want her to have a bad grade. So I hope she follows through. Um, but that was a chance to build efficacy in that student where there was a chance where they could have quit and I could have showed you're right. Nope. I don't think you can do it. Let's go ahead and cut this off now before we, we have a failure. No. Hey, I do believe in you. I've seen you working. I know you can do it. You got a lot going on. Take care of it. We'll, we'll follow up later. And that, that was a, um, just a, a good chance because I built their relationship. I knew that student and Hopefully it works out well, but that was a chance to, you know, kind of build the efficacy and cultivate the chemistry, even with some students. For sure. And she had someone that believed in her. That meant a lot. And that went mm -hmm. further than anything you probably could imagine. Mm -hmm. Become your best self with bestself.co. 
They have 90-day journals, six-month action plans, daily journals, gratitude cards, relationship cards, all kinds of things to help you become a better version of yourself. Visit bestself.co and use the code GAMAGE for 15% off your next order. So tell tell me this, Dr. Mills, are you is your is unknown labels, is this for students to read and recognize, or is it for adults to read and recognize? My ultimate goal is for it to be um, something that schools, principals, and, and teachers can use as uh, professional development reading, for example, mm. um, when they meet together to go chapter by chapter, because at the end of each chapter, um, there are some questions and some scenarios to kind of do some self-reflection and opportunity to write in the book. Like when I, I love reading your book, where you have a chance to, mm-hmm. write, you know, you can, yeah. you can jot in it. You know, I know we came through an era, maybe still in an era where people like virtual or, or readable <laughs> tablets and things of that nature. But um, an old, old educator, I still like the dog era page, come back to it, put some notes in it, tag yeah. a page or two. But um, I do wish it would, could get into a school to mm-hmm. serve as a professional development resource to help teachers and administrators learn how to build those relationships and just identify from the themes and the, and the chapters that I have right. and my experience in alternative school because yeah. that's one of the number one things that um, disrupts school and learning is the behavior and discipline. Yeah. And so, you know, kids, they're going to show you, if they can't show you their brain, they're going to show you, show you their butts. But <laughs> I remember seeing a little sticker one time um, it said, it was given to the elementary school kids and said, right, finish the sentence. It says, I wish my teacher knew. And this little black boy wrote on his, I wish my teacher knew that her bad kids were smart too. Wow. That pretty, I think that hurt, you know, because wow. so many times we think because we see that behavior, Dang. we can't see the brain behind that behavior. We just look at the behavior. Yeah. But if we just kind of expose that child mm-hmm. and made some of that, le- make some of our lessons relevant, that's the other R that I was talking about. If I'm teaching you something and you can't relate to it, it's not relevant to your world. I'm going to miss you. I mean, yeah. I may get a couple of kids. I'm going to miss them. So we have to teach how kids learn more so than have them learn how we teach. Mm-hmm. Man, Dr. Mills, I see why you wrote this book. I see. I see why you wrote it. <laughs> I, um, This is good. I, 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 You know, alternative schools specifically, I'm glad that you said that, too. And that might be a lane by itself because I've spoken and worked with a couple alternative schools the last couple of years. And the turnover is just... Yeah, it's really high. And I'm talking students and adults because it's such a it's such a challenging place to be. And and part of it is like, of course, it's challenging. You're, you're taking students that are struggling in a traditional setting. We're moving them to an alternative traditional setting so they can sit down and try to follow the same rules and the same teachings that they were before. Like, wh- yeah. why would we think this is going to work? You know, but um, I think something like this and what a lot of times I feel like the alternative schools, from my perspective, are struggling with is keeping that camaraderie, that cohesion, the chemistry, and moving forward. Because it can be, you know, particularly in big cities, a lot of kids die in alternative schools. A a lot of kids get beat up. A lot of kids go to jail. Stuff happens to these folks, and it's hard to keep your heart, and it's hard to keep going. Um, You know, to me, it's... it's, um... It's what you expose them to also, because I had I had kids at the alternative school that would self-sabotage. They only came, like you said, the revolving door 45 days. But I would have students, they had five things they had to do in my school in order to make it back to their traditional school. Mm. And I had some and some parents that would ask me, can my child stay? He's doing better. She's doing better. Wow. And I've had some kids self-sabotage so they couldn't go back. Wow. I even had one that went back and within two weeks called me and said, hey, doc, can I come back? 
So I went to his school, met with the principal, his mom, his school counselor, and I brought him back to the alternative school by mm -hmm. his choice, not because of his behavior. Right. He found something there that we gave to them. Yeah. And then when you mentioned the staff turnover, I had one of the lowest turnovers because we built a family. We built a culture within that school. We all cared for those kids. So one of, one of my chapters also, are you for the kids or are you kidding? Because I oh, didn't man. want to play with my team <laughs> that wasn't for the kids. If you walk, walked in my building every day, we're about these kids. So are you for the kids or are you kidding? Dang, and that was your theme for the year. That was one of my themes. I love that. Chapter. That is good. I want to buy the book just for the themes. I like these little <laughs> quotes and anecdotal type of things. Um, so to, tell me this too, Dr. Perry. We'll, we'll ask you again here in a second, but where, where will the big people be able to purchase the book or learn more about what you have going on? Well, my publisher is trying to get it out on every outlet there is. We don't want to just stay with Amazon, any one location. Um, she even shared with me, uh, she's a former educator herself, and she told me that she wished when she was going through her education courses that this would have been a required or suggested reading in yeah. her college course. Yeah. And so I'm not sure, you know, some of the McGraw-Hill publishers, if I can get it to them, or I just want to be able to get into a marketing. I don't have a marketing mm -hmm. plan just yet, um, but I do want to make sure that when I get to that point, I can get it to the right places and, and market as, as broadly as I possibly mm. can. That's that's good. That's good, Dr. Mills. That's good. And and I can see, I, I appreciate the dual approach as well and being able to support from the federal program side and also being able to dig back to some of those roots as a, as a school principal and a school leader to be able to support your students. Um, overall, what would you say is your mission in education? By the time you retire, what do you want the people to say about you? You know, I wanted people to say that he made a difference. He was about the children. He's about trying to show them that they had a voice, had a, had a worth. Um, because I came into education because of my own child, my own biological child as a second grader. Because I was in the military, we moved a lot. And we were in Virginia. And we do chores. I'm a Southern fellow. So we do chores around the house on weekends. So he was in the restroom. And he was cleaning the mirrors. There was, a, you know, the little water spots yeah. on the glass. And so when he took one of the little brown uh, paper towels to clean the mirror, custodian saw him doing that and accused him of defacing the, the room, took mm -hmm. him to the administrator, the assistant principal, and his punishment was to go around with the custodian to clean all windows in bathrooms. So my child is out of the classroom cleaning mm -hmm. windows for something that we don't even know the full story. So when I got word of it, I went in um, and I asked him, I said, wow. did you all ask why my son was doing this? And they said, well, no, the custodian said I said, please call my son to the office. And I told him, I told him, I said, please explain, ask him why. And he explained just what I said. At home, mom and dad have us clean out, clean the mirrors in the bathroom with the spots. And mm. I was cleaning the mirror. So for him to be doing something that he thought was a good thing and positive, he was being punished for that. And I said, well, you will not ruin my child's educational experience at this age for him being in school, doing something good. And you turn it to his bad. And my son led me into education based on wow. that situation wow. and because I wanted to be the voice for my child because a lot of parents either can't or don't go and volunteer and be a part of the PTO mm -hmm. and hear what's going on. Whatever happens to their child happens to their child. And even as a principal, I would always tell them, don't um, sit here and take everything that I say. Let's do things together. I remember, and I'm sorry, I want to go off just a little bit. Please go, go, go. One of my uh, consequences to a young man, in, and it's kind of tied to my military, he decided one day he wanted to take my American flag after it was bought down, lowered that day, and it was stored. He took the American flag, stuck it in his book bag, because he wanted to do something with it as a joke the following day at school. Mm -hmm. Of course, my camera saw who did it. And so I'm not going to suspend you, you know, to send you home. So his consequence between me, him, and his mom, I said, well, this is what he's going to do. 
I'm going to teach him how to raise and lower the flag. I'm going to teach mm. him how to fold it without showing red. And that's going to be his consequence for the next wow. couple of weeks. So mom, I need you to get him early enough to school to raise the flag and he will be lowering it um, at the end wow. of the day. And so, but I still had him in the building getting his education. Yeah, he, he and his mom both told me they really appreciate that. They did not only learn the consequence for their experience, but they learned a little bit about the flag as well. Yeah, that's a that's an amazing. I, this is this is education. This is what it should be like. You know, we we've got behavior matrix, we've got things, and these are necessary, you know, protocols and policies. But when you know your kids, you can do stuff like that. Correct. You know what I'm saying? You, you you don't have to be zero tolerance. You don't got if home was the answer, and, and I'm I'm not speaking about parents. Parents might be busy and got their own things going on, but if home was the answer, there wouldn't be these issues at school. So let's, like you said, let's work together with everybody. You know, being here in South Carolina, we got some grandparents like, hey, I done taught my boys everything I can. Yeah. You got it. You know what I'm saying? And we can, we, but even still, we can keep that grandparent or parent in the loop and we can support that kid in a way that can be appreciated on both ends of the spectrum. Right. And I think that's a part of it. When they feel like they're a part of it, you can work with them better. You can, you're building that culture. There's parents and the community is a part of that culture. It's not just the principal, the teachers, and the students mm -hmm. in that school, but the parents are bringing us their best product from, uh, from home. And so I want to get them involved in it as well. And so when they have a voice, um, I've even had the unfortunate opportunity to I had to expel a child and a parent across the table told me, said, Dr. Mills, you know what? I appreciate you because I know if you got to this point where you recommend my child for expulsion, you've done all you can. Mm -hmm. And so, and that's just me. I just want to build relationships. So again, you know, my legacy is, you know, he went out there to do all he could. He do what he do, do the things he wanted to do for kids. One year at my school, um, Christmas gift I gave to my staff, I took, we took a staff picture. They didn't know what I was doing with the staff picture. And I went around and said, tell me, why did you come into education? You know, I chose education because, and I had them fill in the blank. Mm. So they gave it to me and I printed all of those on the individual cards. So I put the staff pictures in like a little wow. glass square frame. So the staff pictures on one side and then why I chose education is on the other side. And I had them all, you know, put this in your office, put this in your desk as a reminder. You know, mm. students be able to see the picture of the staff, and they also saw that I chose education because of. So everyone had their personal reason, yeah. and it was something in a frame that they saw every day to remind them why they walked wow. into the building. Dr. Mills, we might have to get you out the district level back into the class. <laughs> I don't know what your I don't know what your schedule is looking like, but I feel like you've got some some words that folks need to hear and getting folks geared up. So maybe y'all need to do a a district tour before the year starts and and checking on everybody's in service. Um, with with a quick 30-minute motivator for him. So, Dr. Mills, this is good. I've had a pleasure speaking with you a couple times, and this is a great opportunity to expand and, and hear more about your knowledge, your experience, your, your innovative and creative approach to supporting kids across South Carolina um, and the other areas where you look. Where can the people, if they want to get in touch with you or follow you, where should they find you at? Um, you know, I should know this by heart. I, I am on LinkedIn. Um, it's basically my name. Yeah. Um, Instagram is Doc, um, Doc P. Mills on Instagram. Um, I'm on Facebook just under my name as well, Paramil Par Senior, because I do have a junior out there. Um, so those are the platforms that I've used the most. But I need to also expand my social media network just a little bit. I was sharing with someone the other day, uh, today as a matter of fact, um, and he said that he reaches a lot of the people. A lot of times people on Facebook are people you know, family and friends. Mm -hmm. He said on, on other places like Instagram or even TikTok, believe it or not, you, you reach an audience of people that don't know you, but they saw yeah. something that interests them. So I just need to kind of get into that marketing part to find out more. But um, 
maybe by the time this is aired, I can share more information with you for content and content, yeah. contact, contact information. Can't get the word. Yeah. Yeah. We got you. We'll, we'll update that information, whatever you share with me, so the folks can get in touch with you. So um, this was great, man. I certainly appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure for sure. And thank you all for listening to the Dash Podcast. If you like this episode, share it with somebody who needs to hear it. Dr. Perry Mills, as you heard, is an illustrious educator and his voice needs to be heard. You can check out Unknown Labels, Know Me Before You Judge Me, at your local book retailer. And we'll see you next time. This is The Dash. Thanks for listening to us on The Dash Podcast. I definitely hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you liked it, Share it with a friend, share it with an educator, share it with someone who needs to hear the message from this episode. You can visit our website, seleducators.com to learn more about our online courses and professional development training for schools and districts. We'll see you next time. This is The Dash.